take a moment to pray before we start the message today. Um, to kind of prepare our hearts for hearing, uh, hearing the word of God. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, speak through me this morning. That as I uh, as I bring your word and your your um, like, like the message today, Lord, that you would uh, that you would bless the folks who are here. That you would open their hearts and help them to to receive something from you. That that they would know you more intimately and be challenged. Um, to, to obey you and follow you in a way that, that uh, reflects your calling on their lives. In Christ's name. So over the past few weeks, uh, I've, been, I've been preaching from a, in a series uh, uh, from, from actually, what, oh, if you're a small child and are heading to the nursery, this would be the time when you might go. Um, and I think we have a few coloring folders, but not as many as we should because I forgot to photocopy more coloring pages because I was teaching Sunday school, and that's my fault. Sorry. So if you need a coloring page or coloring crayons or what have you, this would be the time you might raise your hand and someone, um, hopefully my wife, might bring them to you. We don't have that many today. <laughs> um, over the past few weeks, we've been uh, working through this series. Um, um, it's actually based on a book that I, I read uh, earlier this summer. Um, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. Um, and, and the book looks at this idea that that um, all of us are gonna are gonna die one day, right? I I know it's a shock for some of you. Very few of us will live forever. Um, in fact, none of us are gonna live forever. There's a hundred percent mortality rate in life. It 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 just it's common. And um, the the idea behind this this book and the series that we're looking at is what does God expect us to do with what we have? You know. If, when we get to the end of the game, is is it like Monopoly, where you know the guy with the most property and the most money wins, or, or is it something different? Um, the first week we looked at sort of the world standard for winning at life, and and kind of looked at it in light of God's word. And last week we we um, looked at what God expects out of us, and this is sort of this this humility, right? Like God expects us to be humble and to look out for other folks' needs and and place them before our own, like as Christ modeled for us. Um, this week we're going to be looking at John 12, uh, 20 to 22, um, and so if you want to follow along in your Bible, this would be the time to, to hunt that down. Um, you know, but while you're looking that up, I wanted to take a quick minute um, to, to touch on something. There was a, a philosopher, uh, Socrates, right? Some of y'all may have heard of him. Um, he was Socrates, I guess, if you follow movies. Um, maybe at least somebody got that. Um, <laughs> but but uh, Socrates once said... Uh, um, the unexamined life is not worth living, right? Like, and what he meant was, it, it, we only have so much, right? And if we wander through and, and just sort of fritter away what we have, it's, it's not even worth it. Um, the life that we're supposed to live is, is the life that lives for the purpose. You know, if I'm made for a reason, I should live according to that reason, right? Um, Larry was telling me a few weeks ago that... that you know, it's not uncommon, or once upon a time, it wasn't uncommon for farmers to, to be out fixing fences. I guess that's pretty common. Um, but they wouldn't have a hammer with them, and so they'd pull the revolver out and pound on the fence with the revolver and shoot themselves. Like, apparently this happened occasionally. Larry said it, not me. Don't. <laughs> um, because why? They use their, their tool for something they ain't meant to be used for, right? You know, you use a hammer to hammer in nails on barbed wire. You use a gun to scare children, so I don't know. Um, <laughs> Shoot gophers. That's what you use them for. <laughs> That's it. Um, and and so, like like the lives we live, we were created with purpose. And and 
you know, that purpose, um, ultimately, like, if we live by it, it's, it has value. If we don't, we, we waste what we have, right? Um, what's the point of living if we don't follow what God made us to be? And, and uh, this week, we're looking at uh, John, John 12. In the background of this particular passage, this takes place about a week before the crucifixion, right? So Jesus is right at the end of his earthly ministry. The triumphal entry has just taken place. So, like, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and uh, people are laying down their coats and waving palm fronds, which basically was a way of saying, hey, look, this guy's awesome, he's our new king. And, and it, was, it was a big event. Um, and, and actually, it was foretold in the prophets. Um, and, and as it's happening, um, the Pharisees are watching. And the Pharisees were sort of Jesus' mortal enemies, right? They, they did not like him, and, and he kind of didn't care for them much. He mouthed off to them quite a bit. And, and as they're watching, and they've been trying to badmouth him, they've been trying to undermine him, they've been trying to, to destroy him every step of the way, they see this crowd of people coming out to celebrate him, and they realize that they're failing. Right? Everything we've tried to do so far hasn't worked. And, and it's like me fixing a car, right? Like, everything I'm doing isn't working, it's going the way I don't want it to go. You know, and, and so they look at each other and they say, the, the verse immediately preceding our section, um, you see that you see that you're not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after it. Um, now this is important, right? And we're going to get to why it's important in a second. But to kind of summarize it, everything we've done isn't working because the whole world is falling in love with this guy. We're losing, right? And and they see it. What they want isn't happening. Ultimately, it's not really what God had in mind, mind you. But like what they're trying to do isn't working. And so we go on to John 12, uh, 20 to 22. Um, so the Pharisees say that, and the author brings us to, now there were some Greeks amongst those who were going up to worship at the feast. There then, or these then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began talking to him. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. Um, this sort of seems like a Passover passage. Like, not Passover like the Jewish holiday, but like the sort of thing that like you're reading, and it's like, oh, yeah, some Greek people came to see him. Right? And actually, they don't get mentioned again, which is why it's sort of important to figure out why it's even there. Right? And, and here's why. The Greeks, these are guys who aren't Jews, probably. Right? Um, but they're looking for Jesus. So the Pharisees say, the whole world is looking for this guy, and now guys who aren't even Jews are looking for him. Right? Um, Jesus answered by saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, up until this point, he's pointed forward and said, oh, my time hasn't yet come, and all of a sudden, you know, he talks about how it's not time yet. From this point forward, we see repeatedly where Jesus said, the hour is here, the time has come, it's now. I mean, we are there, right? Why is it now? Well, it's now because the world has started looking for it, right? He's reached this point where where growth is sort of hit critical mass and something huge is happening as like now not even it's not even just Jews, it's everyone. People who weren't even promised Jesus are now looking for Jesus. Um, this is the beginning of the big explosive growth, right? Because the reason that Christianity became huge in the world is so many Gentiles followed Jesus in the end. Um, and, and actually like like in the ancient world, Paul would start by preaching to the Jews, right? And then after he converted a handful of them, he would go and he preached to the Gentiles, and the church would really grow. 
Everybody with me? So this is this is a turning point. This is a big, big, big turning point. Um, and he's about to go to the cross. And he acknowledges it's time. Right? This is it. He's been building up to this, and it's going to happen. Um, he goes on and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Anybody here know anything about grain? <laughs> Sorry, I've been trying to figure out a good joke to start with. <laughs> Nothing. Um, why does he say this? Well, um, for starters, like this is it's sort of this image, right? This this metaphor. What do you do with grain when you bear it, or when you grow it, right? You, you start off by burying it, um, which he parallels with death, right? Like the, the seed in its original form can't remain a seed if you're going to grow wheat, right? It's got to it's got to cease to be a seed. That's got to end. There's got to be a death in order for that to happen. Um, and it's actually sort of the way of the world we live in, right? Things die, so other things can live. Like I I enjoy um, eating beef. Um, and, and I don't eat that beef unless something else dies. I assume it's some mystery animal that comes from the supermarket, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, but all the things that we eat start with something else dying. And in this case, what we see is something is buried, it dies, and new life comes out of it. Um, this is probably a twofold reference, right? Jesus is probably referring to the cross. Why? Because everyone in the world is spiritually dead, right? You know, before we know Christ, you, me, everyone... All of the people who even like like followed Jesus, you know, like like without Christ, or you know, all these people around him without Christ were spiritually dead. We're separated from God because of our sin, right? And and I know it's surprising. You, me, everyone, you know, one sin, spiritual death. That's how it works. And there's separation between us and God. Um, he's probably first referring to the fact that his one death is the beginning of life for the world, right? Because. Because of the death of one, many have life. That's um, from Romans 5. It's this idea that, that one man begins at Jesus, um, and new life comes out of it. Um, the other thing he's probably referring to is us. Um, you, me, and everyone, right? Like, we have a choice like, as to what we're going to do with our lives. I, I read a story from a missionary a few years ago. Um, about they, would, they were trying to teach these, these fellows in this, in this, there's an African, this, like, kind of starvation-oriented country. Like, people were very poor. They sort of lived day to day. And, and they brought out corn for them to plant. And, and they, they did these classes and taught them how to plant the corn, taught like how to plant gardens so that they could raise some of their own food. I mean, it was this great idea. And the problem that they had was that they had a lot of difficulty getting some of these folks to plant the seeds. Because they look and they say, you know what? I can eat this corn. Because you can, right? You can eat corn. It's a vegetable, so you try not to. But but you can't eat it. Or you can put it in the ground. And these folks would take this corn they'd be given, and they'd eat it. Why? Because it's food. And it almost was unfathomable for them to put it in the dirt. You know, because, because it's gone that, right? Even though something better comes along. Even though you get a hundred times, two hundred times, what you put in the ground... It was like hard for them to imagine burying something that they could eat right now. Right? This is the challenge Jesus starts to set before us, right? You, me, and everyone, we got a life. We can have our fun now, right? We used to say that at the children's home. If a kid was acting up, 
You can have your fun now, but you're going to pay for it tomorrow, right? You know, you may you may screw around, you may be violent, you may threaten, you may you know not go to bed on time, you may do whatever you want right now, and it may be a ball, but tomorrow there's consequences. We all have our lives, and we'll spend it the way we're going to spend it, right? You know that little I always think of the hourglass or the little uh, like when you play there's a bog when you flip over the little timer and the salt falls through the we all have so much salt falling through our hourglass. It's there. It's a lot of us. God has ordained that. Um, this is going to happen. We're going to have this. And we can spend it as we see fit. Right? Um, what Jesus is talking about is a life that's sacrificed for something better. Where I take what I've got and I put it in the ground and something great comes out of it. Right? I can spend it now. I can enjoy it now. I can eat it now. Or I can give it up and I can get something better in the long run. Um, it's sort of a predecessor, or actually earlier Jesus commanded his people, look, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Um, this is a really neat saying nowadays, because we imagine sort of pretty crosses, or like gold crosses, or, you know, we bought a, my sister-in-law at the fair yesterday, or the summer celebration, it's not the fair. Um, <laughs> bought a really, really elaborate cross made out of, like, shiny nails and everything else, and it was very pretty. Like, it's easy to imagine that. In this culture, like, if you thought cross, you thought dead guy hanging on the side of the road, rotting where everybody saw him naked, right? Like, this is not a nice thing. And Jesus says, unless you're willing to give up what you have, right, unless the seed falls to the ground, um, there can't be new life. What if, what's the new life that comes out of us sacrificing? Well, we sacrifice of ourselves, um, and we bring others with us, right? I, I read an interesting story a few years ago. It's one of my favorite missionary stories about, about a, uh, an island in, in um, the East Pacific where, where all of the men who lived on the island were slaves. And there was a, like an owner, and he, he would not allow missionaries there. You know, he would not allow outsiders to come in and preach the gospel. And so these two missionaries from England sold everything they had um, and sold themselves into slavery and went and lived as slaves on this island. And the, the average life expectancy for slaves on that island was less than two years. So they went knowing they would die. They went saying goodbye to their families on, on ships from England, knowing that this was the last time they were going to see them on the side of that. Years and years later, like today, this is, you know, hundreds of years, over 100 years later, the entire island is, is converted. Like, these two men sacrificed for themselves and brought many into God's kingdom. Um, part of what Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about we give up ourselves. We don't spend what we have now. We invest it in the future, and the future is in life. It's converts. It's other folks stepping into heaven instead of being judged by God for their sins. Um, this is the trade-off, right? Um, he actually keeps going. It says, he who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Um, there's, a, there's a saying, he is no fool. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, right? You can't keep the life you have. It's gone, right? You can enjoy the heck out of it. You can eat, drink, and be merry. You can, you can carouse, and you can drink, and you can... Um, you know, 
between on your spouse and you can not even get married. Just sleep around if you want. You can enjoy the heck out of it right now, right? Or you can give it up and you can get something even better. And that even better is life eternal, right? This is what Jesus is talking about. He's presenting this idea that, that we can't keep our lives. Living for us or live, live it for him. But living it for him is a sacrifice. And I think the timing of this, like right before he goes to the cross, illustrates it best, right? What does the Christian life entail? It entails giving up. It entails dying. Um, whether it's physically or just literally taking, or whether it's literally like a physical death or figuratively where we take our own desires and our own wants and our own self-centeredness and our own, it's all about meanness, and we take it out and we crucify it. Every day, that's what Paul commands us to do, right? Take your selfishness, take your flesh, take it out and crucify it daily. Um, well, what does that mean? Well, it means doing the opposite of what your sinful nature wants, right? I don't know about you guys, but I like stuff. And I like money, right? Money is fun. It is. <laughs> Bigger TVs are nice. New cars are awesome. Um, I would love to have a new old Mustang. <laughs> I'm not saying that to anyone in particular. Um, I would love to have these things. They would feel good to me. Um, but there's another part of the scripture that tells me that if I see my brother in need, I should take care of him, right? Um, and so while there's a part of me that wants, there's a part of me that wants to follow Jesus, and it tells me, hey, take care of your brother first, right? Um, anybody seen Schindler's List? That's a one-watcher for most folks, right? It's not the sort of thing you think, oh, let's watch it a couple times. It's a, that's a rough movie. Um, the one scene that I remember, like, and I actually think about it almost every day, actually, um, is in the end, where Oscar Schindler, who saved about 300 people, right, from concentration camps, um, he, he, he saved them by spending his money to buy them, you know, buy their passage out. And he's standing with this crowd of people whose lives he's saved. I mean, like, this is, he's standing next to probably the greatest thing he would do in his life. He saved the lives of, you know, like, like a couple hundred people. And he's standing there, and he looks at them, and then he looks at his watch, and he says, I could have done more, because this watch is worth ten of you. You know, and this, he had a swastika pin on, and he said, this pin is two people's lives. This car, you know, this beautiful car I have, it's 60 people. This is what I traded. You know, and, he, and he weeps, and the people gather around him, and they're like, but you saved us. And he's like, I could have done more. Why? Because he spent what he had at the time for his own enjoyment, right? When he sacrificed, he did amazing things, and new life came out of it. Like preservation life, and God calls us to the same thing. We sacrifice of ourselves daily. And when we sacrifice of ourselves daily, not only do we get something better and bigger in the long run, we get eternal life, but we also we also bring other people to eternal life with us. There's nothing better than that. Um, we're saved ultimately for serving God, not for serving ourselves, right? We live our lives as slaves to sin, or we live our lives as slaves to Christ. And this is the option. Right? And we might say, well, I don't really want to serve Jesus. And that's fine. We don't have to. But it's not what we're asked to do, right? We're asked to sacrifice. Um, sacrifice the way Christ sacrificed. Because um, we're called to live sacrificially for Christ because he sacrificed himself for us. Um, and this should be enthusiastic, right? 
Like, like we're supposed to do it like we want to. Um, and here's why. First off, who do we serve? Well, we serve he who like created the world, right? I mean, if if oh, that's not a good example. Um, if if Jesus himself stepped into my living room, you know, holes in his hands, feet inside, and said, Eric, I want you to go out and make sure you have the prettiest lawn in the world. I'm going to make sure I have the prettiest lawn in the world, and I'm going to enjoy doing it, right? You know, I, I, one of the best things I ever had at my other job, the CEO would regularly wander, like walk around the campus, and if he saw you doing your job well, he would pull you aside and say, you're doing a great job, that's exactly what you want to do. Keep doing it. And you know what, when the boss told me I was doing a good job, I felt better about doing my job, and I did it a little more energetically, right? The king of the world died for you. The creator of all things thought of you while his last breaths were leaving you. And when you serve him, when you give up yourself, when you do anything in his name, um, he's literally like, like watching that. And so we should serve as though we're serving God himself, because we are, right? We sacrifice ourselves really for God. Um, it's easy to forget that, isn't it? isn't it? I mean, it's not that easy to remember, oh yeah, I'm doing the right thing because Jesus wants me to. I'm loving other people because Jesus wants me to. But we've got to keep it at the forefront of our mind. Um, we serve him because he, because he died for us, honestly. Think of the worst moment of your life when you were the worst person you could possibly be. Am I the only one who ever has the, can recognize those moments? This is the worst Eric that ever walked the earth. Ask my wife, she'll tell you about it. <laughs> those, those moments, that's when Jesus died for us, right? Jesus died for the dirtiest, filthiest, meanest, most hateful person that you've ever been. You, that one. Why do we serve Jesus joyfully with enthusiasm? We do it because that's who he died for. Because he loves you more than you even loved yourself in that moment. Um, how do we avoid the routine? Well, we keep that in our mind. Like, we can fall out of our first love. We can forget that it's good. Um, Mark 9, 41 uh, is sort of this next point here, right? Jesus says, look, if you give a cold cup of water to anyone in my name, you surely will not lose your reward. Another reason why we ought to focus on, like, doing our jobs right is because there is a reward in the end, right? We're not asked to sacrifice for nothing. Um, we trade a little bit for a lot. There's, I hate using this story because I've heard it a hundred times and I, I feel like it's totally overdone, but the story of the man in the desert who finds a pump of water in the middle of the desert um, and, and he searches around the pump trying to get it to work. It won't work at first. And he finds a jar with a note attached and the jar is full of water. And the note says, hey, you know what? This pump is good. If you dump the water down into the, into the top, you'll prime it and you'll have as much water as you want. If you drink it now, that's all you got. And you have a choice, you know, make your decision. And the guy pours the water in and pumps it, he gets an unlimited fountain of water, right? And he fills the water up and he leaves. Um, like his life's saved. Ultimately, we have what we have. And we can dump it into eternity or we can spend it now. But the reward we earn when we offer a cold cup of water, when we serve somebody, when we um, obey Christ, the reward we have is forever. And ever and ever and ever. Never ends. So whatever miserable thing I deal with now, I get ten times that in the long run. I get a hundred times that. I get a, it keeps going with infinity, right? Is that the can you multiply infinity? I'm not good at 
Colossians, the other passage I wanted to touch on there. Um, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work as work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So part of this, we oftentimes think of serving God as preaching to people, right? Um, going out and helping somebody who's in trouble, painting somebody's house, like doing these service things. Um, ultimately, everything we do, we do for Jesus. So you get up in the morning and you do your do your work in the fields, right? That's serving Jesus. I teach Abby how to how to pray at night, right? Which is one of the best parts of my day right now. The, the three minutes before she starts screaming because it's time to sleep. Um, <laughs> that's serving Jesus, right? When I parent well, as rarely as that happens, uh, when I parent well, that's me serving Jesus, and I do it for Him, not for me. When I get up and go to work in the morning, not just me, but you. When you get up and work in the morning, you can serve him or you can serve yourself. If you're serving him, you're working hard, you're working with joy, you're reflecting his love, you're reflecting his grace. You're interacting with other folks like they're going to last forever, because they will, in one place or another. And Paul directs us, do your job like you're serving Jesus, right? The other end of the application for this is, this is all relational, Okay? This isn't a faceless God that we serve. It's a God we're supposed to have a relationship with, right? I sometimes I'll clean the house really well because I know my wife likes it when the house is clean. And it makes her feel special when I spend the day cleaning the house and maybe making her dinner. Right, honey? She nodded. Um, yes, she nodded. Yes, not no. Um, <laughs> why do I do that? Because I love my wife. Ultimately, I'm going to spend time with her on the other end of that, Right? Like, this is a relational thing that I do. When we serve God, we serve Him relationally. We serve Him, um, Revelation 2.4 touches on this. Um, Christ is, like, going through and talking to the various churches, and He talks to the church in Ephesus, and He reprimands them because they lost their first love. They forgot that they loved Him and that they served Him out of love. And it's an easy thing to lose. How do we lose it? We pay attention to me, right? Not me right now. I mean, me in the general sense, we pay attention to me. When do I love my wife least? When I love myself the most, right? Because she's not doing what I want her to do. Or she's not acting the way I want her to act. Because love is not a selfish thing, it's a selfless thing. And so if we love Jesus with our first love, we love him selflessly. We love him as though we have a relationship with him, because we're supposed to have a relationship with him. Um, Luke 10 sort of paints this out, right? Jesus is at, at the home of Lazarus, and Mary and Martha, the two sisters, um, they're there. Jesus is teaching. Mary sits down at Jesus' feet and listens to him teach. Martha makes dinner. And eventually Martha gets mad, and she says, Hey, can you tell my lazy sister to get up and help me make dinner? And Jesus says, You know what? You're doing a good thing, but she's doing a better thing. Because I'm what's important. God calls us to serve him, but we're supposed to serve him as people who adore him. People who like, worship him. People who love to just sit with him. You remember that baby when you were first married and you just loved to sit with your mom? Or sit with your wife? I, I was starting at the second point early. You love to just sit with your wife and you're like, I just, I just, you know, part of your husband, I just love being with you. Or when you're a little kid, there are days Abby just wants to be with me, you know? I come home from work and she I came home from work the other day and she danced around me for two hours. She was so happy. I thought, oh yeah, you know, she danced around. It was kind of weird, like, but it was kind of cool. And she was just happy I was in the room. And she wanted me to sit and watch her roll her car around the kitchen. I wasn't allowed to play with her. 
But you want to be a watcher. Why? Because you're, you know, like when you're a child, you want your mom or your dad to spend that kind of time with you. And that's what she wanted for me. And that's how we're supposed to, like, identify God. He may not give us everything we want. Things may not work out every time. But we're supposed to desire to be with Him because He's Him. Because He loves you when you're your crummiest. Because He created you special and unique and awesome. Because it's not about you, it's about Him. My challenge for you this week is as you go out of here, look to God in everything. Figure out how to live your life sacrificing, giving up, serving Him. Make Him the center of it all. Make Him the object of worship. Make Him the most important thing. That's the center of what we're called to do as believers, right? It's what it means to really live life with meaning. It's to kind of kill my analogy here, right? At the end of the game, it all goes back in the box. It's to pack up and lose early. Because in losing early, we get something better. We get the next game that lasts forever. We're going to pray and then play you guys one more song. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would touch our hearts today and help us to put you at the center of all things. Help us to worship you and, and um, bury what we have that we might grow a greater harvest. Um, that our lives might produce a harvest that brings you glory. Um, that our hearts might just be fertile soil for your word and your, your will. In Christ's name.